0: burnout the word has been everywhere for the past year as the world came to terms with a global pandemic and a changed way of life the stresses of lockdown lost jobs closed schools illness economic uncertainty it all started to pile up and people started burning out Now, I knew the term burnout previously as the emotional and mental exhaustion created by work, which was seen most often in jobs like nursing, elder care, teachers, or even activists. People who had to perform a level of emotional labor in their daily work. But since the pandemic, we're seeing it used by everyone from CEOs to restaurant workers. I wanted to explore the story of burnout and what we're trying to convey when we say that we have nothing left to give in this modern world. To help me understand what we mean when we use the word burnout, I spoke with Professor Gail Kinman. Professor Kinman is an occupational health psychologist who has done extensive research across the many ways burnout shows up in our lives. We discuss what it means when you use the term burnout, if we're at risk of making the whole term meaningless with overuse. And the thought that's been on my mind this whole pandemic, which is, where do we draw the line between taking personal responsibility for burnout with interventions such as meditation, breaks, going for walks on your lunch hour, and the larger structure or institutions that are just not designed for us to thrive? Welcome to Storyteller, a podcast about how and why we tell stories. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. Welcome back to everyone after a little bit of a break there. Thank you for being patient with me. I'm excited to be back to be speaking with people from all fields and from all over the world. I've had poets on, I've had Buddhists on, I've had performers on, I've had journalists on. At the heart of this show is the belief that we're all storytellers and this podcast is here to feed your and my curiosity about the world and to spark ideas in our brains and just get us thinking about the stories that are being told around us and maybe even some of the stories we want to tell ourselves. Uh, You can find me on all the places, please subscribe if you are new, it makes a big difference. I will be back on the socials and promoting these shows and and add a bit more sort of learning side of things with Storyteller Basics, which will be back next week. And before we jump in, I did have some technical issues with this recording and I had to revert to recording a video call. So I do apologize, it's not the quality that I aim for in the show. But as you'll hear, um, Professor Kinman is a very compelling storyteller. She's incredibly um, easy to listen to. She approaches everything she says with great thoughtfulness and candor. Uh, So I hope you'll forgive the slightly digitally sounding audio. So we start off with a very simple question. Okay, so Professor Kinman, thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller. I wanted just to start today really, really, really simple. The term burnout
1: is everywhere.
0: And could you tell us what it is?
1: Well, I guess it depends who you ask. If you want a real purist version of, p- of burnout, um, when, it, when it was first developed, it was first spotted by uh, Christina Maslach, who was um, a psychologist for America. And she noticed that when she was dealing with people who were working, um, social workers, nurses, etc., people who were doing caring types of work, what she found was that people were presenting with similar types of symptoms. So what would happen was people would become emotionally overwhelmed by having to engage emotionally with clients or patients, etc. As a form of self-protection, they would then shut down emotionally, if you like and often they would become kind of cynical bitter and twisted and end up perhaps depersonalizing people seeing them all as a faceless mass. you know they all want something from me and uh you you're then not able to process all that emotional demand so you kind of create a barrier between yourself and other people but of course, most people that go into that type of work do so because they want to make an emotional connection with people. You know, it's it's really, really important to them for their uh, job satisfaction, etc. But what happens then is if they can't do that, they get a sense of uh, loss, I guess, of making this connection with people and they feel that they lack personal accomplishment. Uh, and then, of course, that that then feeds back into the burnout cycle, back into the emotional exhaustion and, and you know it, it's actually a very serious syndrome and people would normally need to take time off sick although actually it's very hard to persuade people to do that sometimes because very often when people are burning out they feel that they're the only ones that could do something very well so they're caught in this treadmill if you like and they know that they wanted to stop but they don't know how to stop they don't know how to step back and what tends to happen is uh you know sadly people often don't go back to the jobs that they were trained to do and were actually very very good at but they're just not able to do that without intensive intensive treatment
0: and so we just so so more specifically burnout a term that has been used to describe people in professions where they have to do that kind of emotional work so that's more doctors nurses um social care so what do you think about the last year where that term has sort of been sort of bled out into to sort of i guess more everyday jobs or more common language so you'll have someone who's got sort of a normal I mean I don't know what a normal office job is these days but someone mm. in a not in a job where they're not uh, required to sort of um provide a lot of emotional work mm. um why do you think that, that the term sort of become more popular
1: I think people are using it as a form of shorthand to describe feelings of being emotionally overwhelmed, Mm. Uh, you know, from all sides when you think about it, because people were forced to work at home um, when perhaps they were not equipped to do so, and I mean, you know, physically in terms of perhaps the workspace that they may have, but also emotionally. People were also very, very worried indeed about their own health and that of their loved ones. I mean you know practically everything, every certainty in life was compromised in lots of ways fears about you know job security et etc massive um uncertainties uh fears and anxieties for the future. so it's kind of like well okay, um how do we move on from here really um and of course what tended to happen i think with a lot of people was that they didn't have anything else to do other than work hmm. Is actually if you can't go out you know it was the winter <laughs> a lot of time as well uh, when the spring came i think people kind of um up a bit and went out and did their gardens if they had them you know took their children out, you know, for walks and things like this, but what tended to happen was, you know, people threw themselves into work as a way of getting some kind of sense of achievement, I think, sometimes, Mm. and um, people were working longer and harder. You had the flexibility to do that in lots of ways, but of course the problem is a sense of support, emotional support was very much lacking. So I think people ended up, you know, obviously lots of different reasons for people feeling that they're burning out. But as, this sense of exhaustion, this sense of uncertainty, fears for the future, difficulties communicating online. Mm. And in some ways that may, may well feed into the depersonalization and cynicism angle. Because, you know, feeling that you're making true connections with people online, certainly in the beginning, if you're not used to it, uh, is, is very, very hard indeed. And a lot of the good things about your job, perhaps the camaraderie, you know, the enjoyments, the having lunch with each other, the, the, you know, the just general incidental learning things that you have at work, those were out as well. So people were very much left to their own devices. And I was talking to a clinical psychologist during that time. And what she said to me was actually quite interesting in that people ended up coping internally they were thrown back into their internal coping devices. Mm. And that's a bit of an issue because most people cope by doing stuff, don't they? Yeah. You know, going out, buying a new handbag, going out for lunch with friends, going out for a drink, going shop, you know, food shopping or whatever. But of course, those options weren't open to people. So what we found was that people were Becoming very internalized, they were internalizing their, their problems, and it was very difficult also for people to take their minds off problems. Yeah, because I mean, I'm a firm believer in distraction, I think distraction uh, is very important. Uh, taking your mind off stuff, you know, you can even forget for quite a long time some of the most profoundly yeah. awful things that can happen to you, but when you are continually, you know, left with yourself, if you like, mm. that. Um cause a lot of brooding, a lot of self-surveillance, if that makes sense. Yeah. How do I do it now, you know, being hyper aware of your feelings and your emotions. A hundred percent. Yeah, I would say
0: yeah. that was definitely I hadn't thought of it that way, but even yeah. just the amount of times you go sort of up and down in a day, you wouldn't really notice it if you're in a busy office. But when you're just by yourself. It can be quite wild to notice the sort of roller coaster of your emotions that you go through throughout the day. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, do you think is there is there a I don't want to say a danger, but um, do you think we need some better emotional language to sort of separate out the term burnout in terms of the very specific sort of emotional and components that it has, and the, and the specific work that it seems to show up in,
1: mm. or is,
0: is it sort of okay if if, you know, your average office worker is using the term burnout just to,
1: as a shorthand, to explain how they're feeling? Hmm, that's interesting, I think, isn't it? it? It's kind of become a bit like stress, I think, in lots of ways, you know, because going back, back in the day, stress was kind of used everywhere. What does stress mean? You know, I've done quite a lot of research on the meaning of stress to people, uh, some people see it as, you know, like um, stressful working conditions and some people see it as a reaction that they have to these conditions and some people see it as a mixture of the two. So it's actually very imprecise. Mm. And sometimes having imprecise terms can be quite useful. It's a, it, it's a bit like an umbrella term, you know, under which uncomfortable feelings can be put, if you like. Yeah, And it's... At its most basic, it's a bit like a shorthand for saying, I need help, you know, whether it's I feel very, very, very stressed indeed, or whether it's a different, qualitatively different feeling. um, I think it's used now to refer to lots of different uncomfortable feelings, fears, uncertainties, Mm. you know, physical symptoms, mental health symptoms, social symptoms you know perhaps feeling and i think a lot of people are feeling like this at the moment that you know we may be able to go out and socialize and see people and go to the office and whatever and have a semblance of the way things were but actually people often fear that
0: Mm, mm.
1: for lots of reasons yeah
0: it totally Um, makes sense yeah like how how to reverse back out you know it's a bit hard to be like the world is dangerous the world is dangerous the world is dangerous and then overnight be like oh it's not anymore off
1: you go <laughs> we know what we want and the thing is also there have been secondary gains in terms of people being at home working at home not socializing face to face and you know for people who are more introverted they may well have, have thrived and flourished during these conditions because they don't have Uh, they may may well have got more work done. So I think the fears of going back out there in the world are actually quite profound as well. And I think that feeds into people's feelings about perhaps burning out because perhaps they feel differently than they did before. That could be another way of, of using the term burnout. This is so
0: important and, and so interesting. What I've heard from so many people is that they can't even believe the amount of activities that they use to fit in a day. <laughs> so pre-pandemic, waking up, hitting the gym, full day of work, going for drinks, maybe a dinner, you know, or a play, or going home to work on a side hustle project. What I think we'll have to find is a new language for how we've changed and how our priorities have shifted, if they have, and how to fight for these changes if we do wanna keep them moving forward. So up next, I asked Gail about this peculiarity of language, which I think really fits into the world of storytelling, which is when some emotions and experiences that we feel, apathy towards work, um, lack of ambition, uh, exhaustion, when we experience these things that are sort of considered unacceptable or undesirable or shameful, you don't want to tell people that that is how you are feeling. What words do we choose to convey how we're feeling? the most powerful things i i heard sort of end of last year is someone said to me um are you tired or are you sad (laughs) and i thought that was a fantastic i i use that all the time now because so many people i can you know you can hear in their voice you can see over zoom that they're they're not well or happy or they're not you know thriving and if you say what's wrong they just go i'm really tired and i just remember someone saying are you tired or are you sad? And now I think about that all the time of, again, just like umbrella, t- we've had to come up with words to explain how we're feeling. And I guess people who've got different levels of what they're willing to be vulnerable with,
1: mm. burnout seems to be a sort of acceptable way of saying, i not coping. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that's really, really interesting because being able to name your emotions uh, is, is, is a very important part of emotional intelligence. You know, being able, to recognize what you're feeling, you need to recognize what you're feeling in order to be able to repair it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, do something to make yourself feel better. But actually, self-focused attention, as I said before, you know, can be very damaging because it's a bit like, what am I feeling now? Next, oh, how am I feeling now? Sometimes you just need to let yourself be. Yeah. I know somebody once said, I can't remember who it was, but wasn't it um? Something about um, an unexamined life is is not a help. But actually, there can be too much examination during lockdown. That kind of facilitated perhaps you know, and people had to face stuff that they had developed coping techniques for not facing. You know, so not just work not just political circumstances not just impossibilities i suppose in terms of you know going about your life in general mm. but a lot of things so i think it's a very very complex indeed and mm. i burnout as a term to perhaps encompass all of that but you know we need to understand what we're feeling um uh, really to to be able to heal ourselves and repair ourselves. So while burnout can be very useful, it doesn't really tell us what we
0: need to do. I really like what she said there. Burnout is useful because it tells us that something's wrong, but it doesn't tell us what to do. Next up is the concept of emotional labour. I found this so interesting. It was actually um, in the research that I did ahead of the interview, slightly different to what I thought it was. I, th- I think from that, I would, I'd really love to speak a little bit more about um, just the term emotional labor because I thought that was really. I was reading some of your research with nurses, and um, just for the audience, so if, well, let me say it to you, and you can tell me if I've understood it properly. Um, <laughs> but what I've, I thought that so the concept is that if you have a, a, a job where you have a requirement to express emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, which is helpful, but then also because of the situation of your environment, you have to suppress other emotions that are not acceptable. So, for example, a nurse will need to express uh, care and patience and empathy and um, understanding, but they also into you know they might have other feelings like um, distress, fear, disgust, and those are emotions that you're not you you don't are not appropriate to show. And that sort of the dissonance between those two can can cause a person um,
1: can be difficult for people. That's about right. Oh yes, I I think you you covered that very well indeed. And I think you know there are prescribed and and proscribed emotions in any type of work, and certainly with some types of work you actually have to be scary and you have to show negative emotions because that's what, what's expected. And certainly by somebody called Saturn looked at um, debt collectors. Oh, wow. It's actually quite interesting. interesting where people, you know, would have to show, um, uh, you know, anger, control of anger, obviously, but you know, um, veiled aggression and threat when they may actually be feeling very, very sorry indeed for people you know that they're trying to you know to get the, the money from so um all different types of emotions depending on the job and of course it takes a huge amount of emotional energy to regulate these emotions to actually show the right emotion and the hold back emotions that you may be feeling mm-hmm. and i think really speaking it's something that we don't just do for work you know we do it in our personal lives as well in any relationship we can't come out and say exactly what we feel at all times because, you know, <laughs> imagine the consequences for our, our relationship. Mm-hmm. So um, that can be very draining as well. So perhaps when people are doing both, you know, the whole thing about being an authentic self, having an authentic self is very mm-hmm. important, isn't it? You know, that we have to feel that we are being true to ourselves in some way. And this idea of being false, it doesn't often sit well with us.
0: Oh, you find it really interesting. So, because I was thinking with the emotional labour again, that that I think I just I thought it was so interesting because so much of your research in these specific realms, I, I I can sort of see the bleed into non-empathetic jobs because of the the lockdown. And I thought. Cause I kind of went into it being like, I really want to clarify what burnout is cause we're all using it too much. And it's, <laughs> I sort of came in a bit hard and then now I'm thinking, okay, I think, I think I can kind of see it a bit more now with um, exactly what you said about the authentic self is quite a lot of these modern workplaces, which I, I know you've spoken about before is a bit like, we want you to bring your whole self to work and we're a family. And, and, and if you complain, we'll give you yoga that you can do during your lunch break, you know? Um, And I think that dissonance really, I think it was bothering people already. And then suddenly with this lockdown and everything that was happening around the world and obviously just an incredibly emotional year, but like you said, there's also a lot going on politically and culturally and socially on top of of the pandemic. And I think I noticed that sort of when a lot of people started quote unquote burning out was because to keep performing this sort of good employee, um, when actually at the face of it, a lot of people were incredibly nervous about their jobs. They were very scared about losing that stability. And that sort of really started getting to people. So in is, in that sense, it's sort of a kind of emotional labor of having to sort of manage the sort of the happy,
1: authentic employee that you're supposed to perform oh, at work compared I, to what you're really feeling. Uh, and I mean, the, the potential for emotional exhaustion is m- much, much higher. Because if you think about a face-to-face interaction, now it's it's not so bad me and you together now, because we're, we're talking, we're just, it's one-to-one. But if you're in a meeting with more than two people, several people, you have to monitor for people's body language. You know, there may be a delay. So, you know, you're wondering about your self-presentation as well. You're looking at your little camera, you know, does my hair look okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was a, a recent study done on um, online meetings and the reason why they are so exhausting by, I think it was somebody in Stanford, a, a group of researchers in Stanford. And what they said was, you know, the kind of face-to-face continual interaction that we have in an online meeting, you would only be doing that if you were about to thump somebody or if you were about to kiss them. Mm-hmm. So That's it's true. incredibly intimate And and having this intimate space means that it can be very exhausting as well. And when you've got, you know, all these different tiles and all these different people, you know, because we look at different modalities, different forms of body language in order to communicate with people, you know, sort of vocal tone, obviously, what people say, obviously very important, body language, you know, hesitations, etc. And it's so much harder to do that. So self-presentation, particularly perhaps for, for younger people, mm-hmm. particularly for people who have little power and capital in the organisation, you know, that feel to make a, a good impression. There is also evidence that people generally have accommodated to the demands of home working. Mm-hmm. So any initial problems, you know, with things like uh, uh, well-being, performance have generally eased over time. But there's a quite a lot of people still who are uh, suffering or it's actually getting worse for them.
0: A question that's been plaguing me for a while now, even before the pandemic, is what role does the entire structure have on us? I've watched so many intelligent, caring, talented people drop out of professions like medicine, journalism, care roles, because they are mentally and emotionally, physically often, exhausted. And it always made me think, what if these systems are fundamentally not survivable? How do we know the difference between where we need to grow, learn how to manage our feelings, become more skilled... And where is an organization or structure simply asking too much of their employees? Or more realistically, I guess, when the majority of people cannot simply stop working if they're burning out, what part is mental health and what part is bad economics? I'd be really interested to know from your research, I mean, even if it goes sort of back to the more and doctors, nurses, or, or um, like yeah, prisons, I'm super interested, but I, I, would like, I would like to, from your perspective, when we're, when we're having these conversations and when we're trying to understand it, like my one issue sometimes with, with burnout, and I'll put burnout in, in quotes there, mm. is the line between an individual's responsibility to like um, learn, understand, grow emotional resilience, take rest, you know, take personal responsibility for how they're feeling. Um, and the structure that they are, are in. Um, and, yeah, so just be interested to hear your thoughts on that, of of where, even just in your research, how you kind of thread those out. Because um, for nurses, for example, um, you know, is, do, are you coping through emotions well or have you been given an impossible task? <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, most research, and my own included, uh, would, would say that it isn't the occupational factors that make people very stressed and burned out, because that is the job. Mm. You know, for nurses, for doctors, dealing with death and dying, for teachers, dealing with, you know, pupils who are um, disobedient, difficult parents, etc. that is part of the job, they expect that, they're trained for that. It's the organizational demands and lack of support and lack of control that they can't deal with you know because most people can deal with the demands of the job provided they have the control and the support needed because if you have autonomy you can actually accommodate the demands can't you understood
0: okay yeah that makes sense so they mm-hmm. so these are people who are trained they know what they're doing so actually these 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 outcomes are normally from organizational stress yes
1: oh, okay. It's the organizational hazards, but it's also the fact that if you're in a situation where your organization is short staffed, the demands made upon you will be very, very high indeed. So, of course, if you uh, should have, say, 10 patients to deal with and you've got 25, even the most resilient person will be unable to cope with that. Mm. You know, so of course it's it's things like staffing as well, very, very important indeed. And interestingly though, the people that do that type of job, you know, the kind of the help and the caring jobs, they can be quite a long way down the burnout line before their performance suffers. Mm. What tends to happen is their self-care goes first. The whole idea is, you know, of of sacrificing yourself for the good of other people because you know, that's the kind of mission. if if you like and I find it very difficult sometimes to persuade people doing that type of job that self-care you know caring for yourself is just as important if not more important than caring for others because it has to start there and if you burn out you won't be able to continue in the job anyway Mm -hmm. it's a kind of maintenance for your own well-being and that's really really important something else I think that you mentioned earlier about burnout was that it can also be used as a badge of honor yeah yeah absolutely yeah nobody unless you're stressed you're obviously not working hard enough unless you're stressed Mm. and busyness right
0: i'm busy i'm so busy yeah (laughs) absolutely
1: you know um so of course christina maslach who i was really lucky enough to interview and that means she was it was Amazing to interview this woman, who has been my hero for a very long time. And to just talk about her feelings about burnout. And of course, she feels very annoyed, to be honest, about this idea that burnout can be seen as an illness. Because actually, it's not an illness. It's a reaction. It's a logical reaction to challenging working conditions. So I think this goes back to your point about resilience. Hmm. Like even the most resilient person will be unable to cope with these toxic conditions. It's making sure that organisations have what I like to call uh, a multi-level systemic set of interventions. Because, you know, as as you just mentioned, uh, they tend to rely very heavily on individually focused attention Uh, interventions like mindfulness like you know breathing like whatever and I mean if you've got a hundred patients clamoring for attention doing a little bit of mindfulness isn't going to make any difference whatsoever yeah. and the big twist then is is it kind of it's pathologizing the individual reaction isn't it yeah', yeah. wrong not there's something wrong with the system
0: I like that, a logical reaction to challenging working conditions. So the question next actually made me laugh a little bit. Um, Is crying at work a logical reaction to challenging working conditions? I'll bring this out. You can tell me in my mind it's slightly lighter, but maybe it's not that much lighter. (laughs) But um, I was looking through your your research areas and I, I saw... Crying in the office, and I
1: just laughed because
0: crying in the office was my favorite thing to do when I was in the office. Oh, <laughs> um, And I was just laughing because I actually, so I have not been in a normal office environment for a year now, and um, my emotional, ro- the roller coaster of my emotional day is so much better now. And I, I, I met an old colleague the other day, and we just had such a laugh because we were saying how when people used to join our organisation, we used to show them around. We said, "Here, are the offices." You know, here the here's the canteen. This is the room that we cry in when we <laughs> <too much> <laughs> yeah. oh like a joke. Um so I'd love to hear what you what you um have found in your in your
1: research about um, crying in the oh, office. Wow, okay. Well, you know, lots and lots of findings actually. Um I looked at women. Hmm. Women crying because I thought that was really interesting. and um, We really need to know about this because in my own experience, I I haven't always been an academic. I've worked in lots of different types of jobs. I've seen people crying. I've cried myself. So I wanted to look at the reasons why women cry at work, uh, the the short-term and the longer-term implications, how they cope, and also women's attitudes about people that cry at work in general, not just themselves. Because often we can have... Different views about ourselves and different views about others. Yeah, so I had um, you know quite a few. I can't remember how many. I think it was forty or fifty, maybe, maybe sixty or so participants that we interviewed, looking at these things really. And I mean, you know, so interesting the findings. Absolutely, you know, because obviously people, women cry for positive things, you know, like promotions, you know, getting married. Um, also, negative thing, negative personal things, you know, like relationship breakdowns, trouble with children, etc. But overwhelmingly, it was due to a sense of frustration and anger. I was just about to say that's hundred percent
0: what what mine was, and I think what we worked out with other women, which is like, because they, because, they, and it, um, is that because women don't really aren't really allowed or mm-hmm. to express not, anger,
1: right? Anger, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Not long after, there was some research. Suggesting that a man who showed anger in an organization was, you know, being robust and assertive, etc., but a woman was, you know, a ball breaker or mm. uh, unwomanly in some kind of way. But the, the interesting thing was, it, it was almost like a reflex because you feel the tears pricking up, and you feel that you have no physical control over that, and that then made things worse because people women, sorry, were very concerned about being seen as a gender traitor. Yes, yeah, I you not know? to be the... People think of me, you know, just going to be seen as a weak, weak little woman and, you know, running off to the toilet and stuff and hiding them. But in women-dominated jobs, it was seen as much more acceptable.
0: Lastly, I asked Professor Kinman about how she came to research in such an interesting corner of the human experience. Could you just tell me and, and the storyteller audience a bit about you and how, how you got into this this line of work?
1: Oh my gosh hmm. okay. um yeah I, I, I said a bit earlier about um not always being an academic and that was absolutely right you know i i didn't do lots of qualifications in school at all i was a late starter uh i did a lot of administration work in large organizations um i worked in social services and that kind of inspired me really to try to understand how people do jobs like that because i was working in a, a, a what was called then a childcare team, you know, where children were actually taken into care, where children had experienced, you know, some pretty horrendous situations with their family members, etc. And I can remember looking around at all these qualified social workers and thinking, how do you do this? How do you go home and, you know, give your family fish fingers for tea, etc. cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Particularly when you're dealing with child sexual abuse, et etc., and you have your own children, mm-hmm. so it's it always puzzled me, really. Um, so I, my, my circumstances changed. Sadly, my first husband died very young. Um, but you know, the positive side of that, as I am an optimist, um, mm-hmm. is that I didn't have to worry about money. So I went to university when I was in my sort of early to mid thirties. A psychology degree, um, just wanted to pass. Realised that I was doing quite well, etc., and then ended up doing a PhD in something al- aligned to that. But I, I was looking at academics, mm. and I think I was drawn to that because my first husband and my—I well, would say my current husband. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my husband now is, um, well, was an academic, so I was very familiar with this environment. And again, it may be not so extreme as dealing with children in distress, but I mean, you are emotionally responsible for young people. And certainly, you know, when I became an academic myself, um, if a student comes to see you because they've missed a deadline, it isn't usually about missing a deadline, it's usually about all kinds of issues, perhaps, that they're dealing with within their own life, you know. I only really have a deep interest in jobs that are emotionally demanding. So, you know, all the people that I've studied, and that includes priests, you know, sort of ministers of religion, very emotionally demanding, uh, prison officers physically you know dangerous emotionally demanding also teachers nurses social workers etc these are all people that i'm very interested in how they cope and
0: do you have a a favorite i mean not to say a favorite but you talked about self-care earlier i mean could you give an example of something that you do do you like listening to music or going for
1: walks or what's your thing that you do to replenish your your energy my sanity at the moment is, is my pop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, behind me, I have a yeah. cage, a crate. Uh, he isn't in residence at the moment. Um, but I mean, he's very challenging also because he's only six months and he's a baby and he needs a lot. Of, it's like having a baby.
0: He needs a lot
1: of, you know, attention and stimulation. But I'm lucky enough to live out, you know, in a village. Um, and I can step out my door and I'm surrounded by fields and forest and deer and badgers and foxes and whatever and you just walk out into a cornfield and mm. you know, you, you can kind of breathe yeah. and get the perspective and you're just away from people. Yeah. Because although I'm an extrovert, I like not having to deal with people that much as well, you know, <laughs> it's actually quite nice. And I think everybody needs to step off. Yeah. You know, from intense personal interaction, because the training I'm, you know, I'm doing at the moment with social workers, it, it can be quite like extreme. Obviously, so having that, that silence and that space, and watching my dog running around in the cornfield, don't tell the <laughs> farmer. It's actually really good,
0: you know. But, um... I, I I feel, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that there there is a sort of unique moment that's happening really right now, um, in the spring of 2021 in the UK at least, um, which is that people have learned a lot about themselves, and you know, locked in their houses and people have gone through burnout and people have come out of burnout. And, you know, they've learned a lot about what they need to find that peace and calm in their lives. And as things are opening up again and people are sort of, and businesses are going kind of maybe back to normal and offices are back and commutes are back, um do you have any advice for people on I guess of this moment um you know of how they can how they can sort of hold for people who've gone through all of this like there's almost potential now to do things differently yes so people who are looking to try not burn out again to try hold on to what they've learned um is there anything from your research or what you know um that can help people moving forward into this
1: sort of new world Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting thing, isn't it? You know, because I must admit, I hate the term the new normal because <laughs> it's, it drives me. The twist. Um, I think it's very unlikely. You know, because we're we're certainly in a period of tremendous uncertainty, um, and probably will be for quite some time. And people that are more flexible and will be able to deal with this uncertainty are the ones that are more likely to thrive but in some ways seeing it as a kind of i think it's pros and cons isn't there this is an opportunity we've learned more about ourselves we know that we can do things differently we know that very many more people can work from home Um, research recent research suggests that people uh, would be happy to take a pay cut or even to leave their job entirely if they're not able to continue working from home for at least some of the time. So there is power there for change. Organisations are thinking about, you know, selling off their offices. They're thinking about doing things differently. But we need to keep that impetus, don't we? I think what we need to do for individuals is to decide what we want and not be too ambitious because, I mean, Certainly during lockdown, it was very common, wasn't it, for people to say, oh, I'm going to learn German. Oh, I'm going to take a painting. Oh, I'm going to write a book. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start cooking blur food every day This that and the other. And most people may not have done one of those. And then, you know, people end up feeling... Very disappointed with themselves, you know, that they had all this time and what did they do with it? They probably sat there in front of Netflix and ate chocolate biscuits or something like this. Well, that's fine if that's what you need at the time. So being overly ambitious can make ourselves feel worse about ourselves if you like. So it's identifying what you want and how to move forward. Um, expecting a massive revolution in your life, you will be disappointed probably. Mm. And, and it does depend, I think, on the type of job that you do, because certainly, and I've just written an article about this, You know, you, we have all these captains of industry, usually older men, saying, you know, or it, it's the slackers that want to continue to work from home, you know, get everybody back to the office. We need to see the whites of their eyes, etc. Whereas many other organisations are actually taking a much more reasoned approach and they are consulting with their, their staff you know uh, so so you can craft a life really that perhaps fits in with what you need at that particular time Mm. but it's understanding what you need first of all yeah and what you want and also the fact that that may change
0: yeah well provkin thank you so much for coming on storyteller Um, and it's absolute pleasure speaking to you um yeah i I actually thought i was going to come out feeling a bit harder
1: towards burnout I'm actually feeling a lot
0: more like ah, sympathetic towards <laughs> Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, I, I guess I'm biased, but you know, it's, uh, I still find it all really fascinating because I'm like you, I, I love people's stories. I, I kind of went into psychology because I'm really nosy. So I became um, a journalist. <laughs> yeah, I love interviewing people you mm. know, because of course you, you can then kind of choose people and you 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 get it. you get their stories
0: thanks again to professor kinman she was fantastic to listen to and thank you all of you uh for tolerating the the sort of less than great audio quality for reflections this week i just wanted to draw on this concept of of, of using the term burnout to explain more complicated emotions that we're feeling and how you know we picked up on it in the podcast of you know, is it the new busy? Is it the new stressed? Is it the new uh, way of saying, a socially acceptable way of saying that we've had enough without sort of exposing any real weakness? If you're not feeling well, if you're not feeling happy, if you're struggling and you say it's a burnout, that kind of gives you a little bit of distance. It's it's sort of saying that your work situation is is overwhelming you, which to be honest, m- most of us, that is what is causing a lot of stress in our lives. So I always try to be more mindful of of language and how we use it. So for example, uh, the word busy is really tricky because busy is a great way to get space when you need some space. Um, You know, I don't think people are very fond of saying, you know, oh, I can't come to that event because I want to sit at home and read my book. You have to sort of replace it with some other active thing. And trying to find a way of not always using that word as a shorthand but also obviously not offending all of your friends massively because we do use this language to sort of buffer and protect and and again communicate what we need to communicate without actually saying exactly how we're feeling or exactly what we need necessarily and for the break that I took for this podcast not to get super meta um quite a few people were like oh like did you burn out or what were you burnt out and i i very much felt the pull to say that i had burnt out <laughs> because then it's sort of excusable right then it's like well of course you it's fine that you didn't uh, do this work uh you know it's a passion project how you know that's fine if you if you if you're so busy that you can't fit it in then that's fine and um to be honest i'll be honest with you guys the people who've made it to this far in the podcast i feel like you guys are my my uh, my core loyal audience, um, I didn't burn out. But what I did do was cut down everything in my life <laughs> that I could. And I slept a lot. And I took a lot of time. And I went on a lot of long walks. And the thing was, I needed to do that. And then I didn't tip over. I didn't burn out. I didn't get to the bottom of my barrel. And that meant A lot to me and I don't still don't quite know how to communicate about that experience because obviously it's an incredibly privileged one but I feel really proud that I protected my self and my mental health and my daily life. Um, It just meant that a lot less got done for a couple of months um, but I didn't tip over the edge and I can feel it in my body that I'm not recovering from a big burnout because I've had plenty of burnouts in my time And a big focus in my post-pandemic life is to break that cycle, because I've definitely, for the last, for my whole working life, I think I've been in a cycle of push, 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 and burnout. I think I I would burn out periodically, like at least every four to six months, let me put it that way. That would show up in really, really different ways. So I'm trying to take very slow, but very steady steps forward so that my life can maintain where possible obviously things happen in your life that you can't control but as much i want to, i don't want it to be built baked into the system as much as it has been before and to find a way to live this life without needing to um take a break from it every you know three to four months so that's just my little my little sharing time um, as usual you can always email me any of your thoughts or questions at you can still email storytellerpod at gmail.com that i have a fans pants new website Email me at lisa at welcome to storyteller.uk. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Twitter, uh, you can find me in all the normal places. So just drop me a line, and we will be here next week with a new episode of Storyteller Basics. So I will see you then. Until next time.